Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. All right, everybody, it is that time to get started. Dig it into the Word of God. That's what we're after. The Word of life, heaven sent, God breathed. That's what the Bible says of the Bible, by the way. And by the way, when people say men wrote the Bible, you can say that's not what the Bible says about the Bible. The Bible says about the Bible that it is God breathed and that the Holy Spirit carried holy men of old, uh, back in those days, carried them along, and they wrote and they spoke as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And so what we have before us is not the word of men, but the word of God. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to bless this time in his word. Now, Father God, we pray that as we look at a very graphic and dramatic incident, that reveals a lot of why you came to rescue us. We pray that we would have insights that set our hearts free, new truths about an old passage that's very familiar to us in some ways and yet very profound. And we pray that your spirit would be with us and help us to hear what your voice is saying to each heart that you called and predestined to be in this place at this time for this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last month or uh, the month before, the guys had a men's retreat to Hume Lake. We love to go to Hume Lake. It's so beautiful up there in the midst of Kings Canyon National Park there with the mountains and the redwoods. Always inspiring, as you can see there, so many things to do. But the best thing about a retreat, of course, is the disconnect from day-to-day life where we could be inspired and spiritually refreshed. Up on top of the mountaintop, there are no phones available, really. There's no reception. There's no internet. You just focus on God and hearing his voice. But after four days, it is time to descend down from that mountaintop into the valley below for a rude awakening in Fresno. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it's funny because halfway down the hill, and we've done this uh, oh for so many years, uh, we would go up as a family and uh, rent a private cabin up there for summer vacation with the kids every year. But halfway down the hill, you come into reception and your phone goes insane with pinging after pinging, right? The realities of regular life come rushing in with a vengeance on those texts and the voicemails and the emails. 
and catching up with the latest news that's gone on during the week, you come to a fast realization that you are not on the mountaintop any longer. Last we checked in here in Matthew 17, last week, uh, there was a spiritual retreat atop of a mountain called Mount Hermon. Peter, James, and John were on that men's retreat there. Awesome speakers <laughs> at that conference. <laughs> Moses and Elijah and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. And a special guest appearance, a rare one at that, a voice, the voice of Yahweh, God the Father, enveloped them in a cloud and spoke and revealed this truth. If you want to know God, here he is through my son. Listen to him and you'll hear the voice of God. And so no wonder Peter wanted to build temporary housing up there. You know, who wouldn't want to stay as long as possible in an environment like that? A little bit like heaven on earth, isn't it? To see the glory of God hear his voice, no pressing crowds, no endless need, no demanding challenges, distracting you from what's most important there. But yes, a rude awakening comes to us all when we have to come down into the reality of the valley below. And so these guys are going to be coming down Mount Hermon and they've hit the curve where reception is possible and the pings are pinging indeed. And as they descend into town there, Caesarea Philippi region there, uh, the dire need is back. Dramatic, graphic, a real problem indeed. And so I hope these guys have had their batteries sufficiently charged because it's game on in a most dramatic and stunning way. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Picking up here at verse 14. When they came to the crowd, so they're coming down the hill, a man approached Jesus and kneels before him, Lord, have mercy on my son. He says he has seizures and suffering greatly. He is often falling into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Wow. Those are pretty strong words from the Lord. And for good reason. We'll find out why. Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment forward. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we do that? I mean, we used to do that. Matthew chapter 10, we did that. You gave us authority to do that. We had success. Lord, guess what? The demons submit to us in your name. What happened? What went wrong? Why couldn't we do it this time? Verse 20, Jesus has an answer because you have about this much faith. So little faith, come on. I tell you the truth. If you just had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, oh, they're on a mountain. The mountain's right behind them. You could say to this mountain right here, Mount Hermon, step aside, and it would obey you. Really wonderful 
promise there, and, and nothing would be impossible for you because all things are possible with God. Amen? So that's what we're looking at before us, a sharp contrast from the holy wonder above to the pain and suffering and evil that characterizes this life in the valleys every day. We look forward, don't we, to a time when only goodness dwells on the earth. That day is coming to a neighborhood near you because the Lord Jesus Christ is near. And when he appears, the old order of things will have passed away. He will wipe away every tear and there'll be nothing but goodness in the kingdom he comes to reign in. And so... Uh, Before us, yes, a sad encounter indeed. We're going to take a good look at it. Rich insights, intriguing details that I'm going to bring from Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9 as well. Oh, they've got some amazing details to fill in the gaps to just help us to understand uh, really what's going on there in a more full and complete way. And so I'm looking forward to that. And by the way, there's a happy ending as we just read, and it always is. When you invite Jesus in to great need, you ask him to be merciful, there's always a happy ending. And so even when it looks bad, even when it doesn't appear to be a happy ending, it is. And we find out with a little bit of time, wow, God took something terrible and brought something redemptive and beautiful out of it. And only God can do that. So our passage, it divides quite nicely. Three parts, if you're taking notes. Number one will be the heart of the enemy. The heart of the enemy is revealed. Right there in the opening verses, we see what makes the devil tick. And that's a really good thing to help us remember to abstain from sinful temptations when we see who it is and what he wants to do behind the so-called thrill of it, right? So the heart of the enemy, we start out and we see what he's up to there in that family's life. Number two will be the power of God. Jesus came to set us free. It just doesn't matter how scary, big, nasty the problem is and how demonic it may be. Jesus has the power and he will deliver us. He's called the deliverer, right? And lastly, we'll finish up with the weakness of the disciples, namely their small-hearted faith. Here are guys who they profess to be following Christ. We're Christ followers and they have a lot of things to say to people but in this moment they are rendered useless by their little faith. Just useless. Useless to God and a disgrace to the gospel and a stumbling block to those in the crowd who saw them do a belly flop in Jesus' name. And so let's dive in uh, and see the enemy wreaking havoc as he loves to do. That's his mission statement. Jesus told us that he came to kill, steal, and destroy. And nowhere in the Bible do we see a better picture of him doing his thing than in the life of this little boy and this family here. And so here are the verses for point one. And uh, as I like to do, just kind of go over it with different words to let it sink down deeper. They descend the hill, the multitudes waiting. They're waiting, of course. (laughs) They're amazed with Jesus and they have needs. And Mark will tell us 
that in that crowd are the Pharisees, they're there, and the nine disciples who were left down at base camp while Peter, James, and John went with Jesus to the spiritual retreat on the mountaintop. They're in the crowd there. And by the way, it does say that the Pharisees and the disciples, the nine, are fighting about something in the crowd. And then um, here comes Dad, and he comes in verse uh, 15, asking for mercy, a desperate situation. He, de- he describes it as violent seizures. And, and man, we're going to hear a lot more details from the other guys as we get started here. And verse 16, Luke tells us, he says, I begged, I begged. The word is the strongest word in the Greek language. I begged your disciples to help us to no avail. I'm sure Jesus did not like hearing that. And perhaps the reaction to those words uh, really explains what was going on in Jesus' heart. Okay, so here we go. The devil's antics revealed. You know, he must have a big budget for PR because you would never know when he comes to us and say, hey, cross over the line, or hey, you should be doing this, and and you know you want to, and you know everybody else says it's okay, and all of that stuff. And look, Eve, isn't it beautiful? And it'll make you so wise, too. It's a wonderful thing to step outside the boundary of God's laws and commands. It's so great, but see... (laughs) He doesn't lead with the end result. He didn't show the demon-possessed boy being thrown into a fire fighting for his life, a little junior high kid, right? He didn't show that to Eve when he said, hey, look at that. Doesn't that look fun and delicious? And, and, And it's good for you, too. It'll make you smarter. No, 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 he should have showed. And by the way, here's what you open the door to and show the, the, the boy foaming at the mouth, falling into the fire, possessed by a spirit that wants to, quote, kill him, the other writers tell us. And so comes a desperate dad. He's doing everything right, or so it seems. Dad has some deep issues, and uh, we're going to talk about some of them. But up front now, <laughs> here <laughs> at last, finally... <laughs> Dad is coming humbly and kneeling uh, and asking for mercy. You know, God uh, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, a scripture that goes uh, round and round in the New Testament especially. The word humble means low to the ground. He's kneeling. He's out of options. He's done praying to the gods of Caesarea Philippi, Athena and Aphrodite and Zeus. They're coming up short. And so now as a last resort, he comes and says, take pity on us, you know? Luke tells us it's his only child. Well, that ratchets it up quite a bit there, drama-wise. And so we're helped out by John Mark with all of these details. Uh, The word suffering greatly, oh, you know, in the Greek, it's tormented grievously this child. And Jesus is going to ask him, how long has this been going on? And he says, since childhood. So he's past his childhood. He's somewhere around junior high age, as I said. So I want you to picture just a a bright-eyed 
innocent junior high boy, if there's such a thing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, uh, and then Mark says, he tells Jesus, a spirit has robbed him of his speech. And so he is deaf, Mark tells us, and he cannot speak. He's mute. And it goes on to say, the spirit often throws him into the fire to kill him or the water to drown him. That's a quote. That's his heart. What, a 12-year-old kid, he wants to see him thrown into the fire where he knows he himself will be thrown one day. And so he describes it as violent convulsions, foaming at the mouth. He becomes rigid. That's a quote from Mark. Uh, and grinding his teeth. I want you to drink it in because you've got to feel the moment to understand Jesus' words properly. And uh, yeah, so one writer said, let all who regard yielding to temptation and sin a pleasurable pursuit, see now the true intent behind the devil's enticements. We'd say no way more to temptation if God could just pull back the veil and show the monster there with a knife extended saying, I want to kill you and everything that means anything to you. Well, you would stop. You would just go, why would I want to go down that road? Right? Amen? Somebody really appreciated that over there. <laughs> Thank you. So the dad is highly disappointed by the nine who tried miserably and failed. And he says, I brought them to your disciples. And look, nothing. Look, I brought them to your guys. Everybody said, oh, try Jesus. And his followers happen to be right there. Try them. They've got the answer. They're in every town. They're always talking, talking, talking. Look at the back of their cars. They've got bumper stickers. Go to them. Well, what went wrong? <laughs> they were given the power and authority. Like I said, they had had success. Something went wrong, and it's called backsliding. That's what it's called. It's just called backsliding. More about that when they ask him to explain what happened. And so continuing on, now it's Jesus' turn to step up and do what his followers couldn't do. They should have done it, but they couldn't because they weren't prepared. They weren't walking right before God. And so uh, now he's going to restore the respect and honor to the gospel. Yeah, he, he doesn't have to say this. He said, well, my disciples may be messed up, but I still have the power to save. And we continue on, verse 17. What a pathetic and twisted generation. That's what it means. How much longer must I put up with your shenanigans? Bring the boy to me. Jesus scolds the spirit and commands it to come out of him. And the boy was totally fine from that point on and forever. <laughs> totally fine. Gee, and then here's a, here's a line from Luke that just sends me uh, into an emotional place. He says, and then Jesus gave the boy back to his father. He scooped him up and walked him over to his dad. But here you go. It's beautiful. 
And what a conflict was involved. Matthew just says, Jesus spoke the word, boom, done. But Mark tells you, oh my word, the spirit saw Jesus coming and the spirit throws the boy down one last time. Rolling around the boy is and foaming at the mouth, a big seizure and a shriek. And then he collapsed and the crowd thought he was a corpse thought that he died. That's how bad the fight was. So time to reveal the power of God, uh, the demons. Now, you know, just a side note about demons. You know, I mean, we are talking about it. It seems that when Jesus went to the cross, most theologians say that it really cleaned up the atmosphere of many of these demonic, malevolent beings. And that Colossians chapter 2 says that the death of Jesus on that cross disarmed those spirits in dark, unseen realms. And so somehow, yes, of course, does it still happen? Yes. It's not as commonplace or as extreme as back in Jesus' time. As uh, we see every other chapter, somebody's got uh, a problem with being demonized. And so, yeah, we look forward to the day when, by the way, at Armageddon, after the seven years of the tribulation, the last battle is called Armageddon because the valley that it takes place in is Megiddo, Armageddon. That's where you get the word. And Jesus appears, and us with him, he speaks one word, and boom, they all go over, and it's pretty much over. It's not much of a battle. Jesus just gives the word. First order of business, he binds the devil and those angels that followed him and casts them into, and I'm quoting the Bible, first order of business. He appears, the second coming, Armageddon. He deals with the Antichrist and his armies, and first thing, grab the devil, the false prophet, the Antichrist, and the demons, and into the, quote, bottomless pit they go. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. And so, yes, we look forward to that time. And it seems to be uh, approaching rather quickly. So Jesus obviously is bothered here. You see he's definitely annoyed Right? It doesn't mean he stopped loving anybody. Right? But there's a strong denunciation. Let's figure out what's troubling our God. And who is he addressing when he calls out there, oh, unbelieving and perverted generation? Well, I already told you the Pharisees are in the crowd, and so he is speaking about them and to them. Pharisees are <laughs> the poster child for everything unbelieving and perverted means twisted or distorted. They distorted the religion of Judaism and the scriptures and the commandments and turned relationship with the living God into a burdensome list of do's and don'ts. Nobody wanted anything to do with the God of Judaism on the Sabbath because of these men with their long robes and their white collars or whatever. They went around representing God and embarrassing God. And the people thought, look at them. Surely they have the answer. And, and the boys still flailing on the ground. And so they were misrepresenting God. You know Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are. Commandment number three, 
Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Oh, Christians have it all wrong. <laughs> it's so much more than, whoops, I used his name in a blasphemous way. It means to claim you are a representative of God and then live in a sinful, dark way. You're misrepresenting his name means his character, his being. So to tell somebody you're a Christian and then live like you're not is to break the third commandment. And that's what these guys were all about. And so the boy is flailing around and they're, they're in their long robes identified with God and the answer and the healing and the power. And they come over and they chant some pious, silly incantation and splash a little holy water on the kid and the, and the demon goes, are you joking? You know, go away, guys. You know, they need to be rescued. They can't rescue <laughs> They need to be saved. And so number two, the crowds. He's talking to the crowds. He's saying, are you guys Israelites? Are you guys Jewish? You guys go to Sabbath and hear the word? One believing true blue Jew in that, in that crowd would have made all the difference. It would have brought some light, some comfort, some healing. He's talking about an everyday Israelite who's given over to bowing at what their hands had made there in Caesarea Philippi, just a nasty place. And so while the boy is flailing on the ground, don't forget there's a, there's a little shrine to Aphrodite there at Caesarea Philippi or some statue with 11 arms. So he looks out to those Jews who lived there, who offered their kids for protection to these gods who were demons. And that's one possibility of what went wrong in the first place. I mean, why would that happen to that boy? Because what was mom and dad doing? And then thirdly, who's in the crowd? The disciples, the nine left behind, right? <laughs> They're in the crowd. And how sad. They're like, okay, well, the guys in the robes with the collars and all of that, we kind of pictured and imagined that they wouldn't have power over it. We kind of know, you know, everybody kind of knows, right, that they're phonies. But how about the, the new message, the new guys in town? The guys who are talking about raising people from the dead and walking on water. How about those guys? Let's try those guys. And boom, the kid's flailing in front of them. And they're like, um, yeah, oh yeah, how did it go again? Oh dear Lord, you know, and it just like fell flat for a good reason, which we find out later. The ball gets passed to them, but everybody in the crowd had to roll their eyes and go, oh yeah, the new message in town. They're just after your money. It's just a sham, another sham. Now, before he tells the disciples exactly what went wrong, he's going to, in a subtle way, call out the dad. And here's how he does it. Mark chapter 9. So they brought the boy to the Lord. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, now come on, it's 911. The boy's got a demon grasped to his throat, throwing him down, trying to kill him. And Jesus wants to chat right now. And he's going to ask him a question that Jesus already knows the answer to. 
So therefore, there's something more going on here. And I'm going to help you find that. <laughs> How long has this been going on? He says, from childhood, he answered. It's often, and this is just even a greater indictment, it's often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If I can, are you kidding me, sir? Everything is possible for one who believes in the Lord. Immediately the boy's father, he responds, great here. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. But let's zone in on the question there. The question is in light of this. How long has this been going on? I want to know that. Well, he says years now. Oh, has it been longer than the three years I've been doing ministry in Israel? 32 miles from you, sir. 32 miles from Caesarea Philippi. I have been hanging out and doing 80% of my miracles, but everybody knows, sir, for the last three years what, what, what some of my specialties are. Let me show you in Mark chapter 4, I think it is, or Matthew 4. The news about Jesus spreads to Syria. Oh, Syria, sir. <laughs> Dad, Syria. Everybody in Syria, Caesarea Philippi is on the border of Syria, past Caesarea Philippi. So news has gotten through your town, sir, back to Syria. Lebanon's right there, right on the border. The Lebanese know, the Syrians know. What do they know? And the people brought him. All those who were sick, they were suffering from different diseases and pain. Some had demons, sir. Some suffered from seizures. Everybody knows this in the whole region. And some were paralyzed. Jesus healed them all. Large crowds followed me, sir. People from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the areas across the Jordan River, which is another modern-day Jordan. Where have you been, Dad? Why were... Here's the question. How long have you let this go on? Why did you uh, choose your own <laughs> comfort and convenience or your sins or Aphrodite and what goes on in the cave when you come, sir, with your offering to worship Aphrodite in that cave? And that's what kept you from caring more about your son who's demon-possessed and been trying to kill him. Your words, Dad, your words. He, the Spirit's throwing your kid down. And the dad says, often. But you didn't come 32 miles? And sir, I came through Caesarea Philippi last week. Where were you? One writer said, the call to parents to deny themselves and pick up their crosses and follow Jesus is not just for their sakes, but for their little ones' sakes. But sadly, many choose to find themselves and pursue their worldly passions and pleasures without any regard for how it will impact their children. As a result, there are little boys and little girls without intact families 
who suffer grief because mom and dad cared about their own sensual desires than the well-being of their children. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long? How long? A man struggles with pornography all his life, and guess where he found the first stash of magazines? At home, in his father's drawer. A woman spends her whole life broken because her mother chose the bottle over the marriage and the care of her daughter and son. Well, this... (laughs) isn't way back 2,000 years ago. And what a guy. He's just waiting. Oh, no, every time we choose ourselves over our own paternal and maternal instincts. A guy came up to me first service, and he said, go ahead, you can say it. He said, and and Pastor Ross, it's not just when they're kids. He said, I was a grown man when my dad passed at 80. We had to go through his house, and he stopped and paused for two whole minutes. He couldn't speak. He was in such pain. The man I knew was not really the man I thought he was, because we went through his house. And he said, it's crippled me. We have an obligation No man is an island. And the devil's favorite line is, who are you hurting? Who are you hurting? Always. Who's going to know? Who are you hurting? It's just you. (laughs) We're connected. And we have a moral obligation (laughs) to deny ourselves, take care of our own issues and our own (laughs) demons, not in the sense of real ones, you know, as the world uses that, our own struggles. We crucify them for the sake of those who are depending on us. That's what the Christians are called to do. Moving on. You're probably glad I said moving on, right? Verse 19, I think. There we go. When they get alone with Jesus, yeah, we don't want to air the dirty laundry in front of everybody. The guys want to know, okay, why did the lights go out? Why were we had a little brownout? What, what what happened, Jesus? In verse twenty, it's because you're running on empty, guys. You hardly have any faith at all. Here's the deal: you only need a little pinch. You could do monumental things. You could tell Mount Hermon, move move over, please, and it would, because all things are possible with God. And these words are really misunderstood. They really are. And they've been used to form a basis for some mm, false doctrine. So why couldn't we drive it out? Well, he says, your faith is diminished. And he, you know, it's not like he's saying, you, you know, leading up to this, they had a week by themselves, right? The guys were supposedly walking tight with God and praying together and reading the little scrolls from the minor prophets that they have in their sacks. You know, walking with God, being filled with the Spirit, being walking in the light, being led by God, right? And then the dad comes with the kid and they they say, here, can you help us? It's not like they just reached out their hands and said, we just don't know that we could do it again. No, that's not the problem, is it? That wouldn't make any sense. 
the diminished faith was backsliding, spending a week not plugged in, not reading the scrolls, not spending quality time with the Lord, not being filled, not doing the right thing. Instead, what were they doing that whole week that led up to this disaster? Well, commentators say, you know, they got their feelings hurt. Probably, we can't prove any of this, but they certainly failed. And Jesus said, it had to do with your faith. And what led up to this is what? They got their feelings hurt. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. That's all we ever hear is Peter, James, and John. They're going to sing Sunday school songs about them and not us. (laughs) Peter, James, and John in the sailboat. (laughs) You know, whatever. We were there too in the boat too, just so you know, Peter, James, and John. And that's kind of what happened. No scroll reading, no praying, no feeling, uh, befilling of the Spirit. Saying things they shouldn't say, using language they shouldn't say. They're fishermen, half of them, right? And now the moment of truth caught them by surprise. Oh, we've got a demon inside of a kid. That's called, we need you to call on Jesus, call on the name of the Lord and do something. And they go, uh, oh yeah, yeah, um, in the name of Jesus, come out, or whatever. <laughs> and the demon just goes, please, save it for somebody who's listening, right? <laughs> and so, yeah, we need to be prayerful and be walking, and it affects the, how we are given uh, power to do the things that we're, God has called us to do. And then they're probably feeling intimidated because Jesus says, look, you guys, you you got to kick it up a notch and you got to have more faith or whatever that means to them. And they're intimidated. So he's going to come around with some good news. They're like, how is that ever going to happen? Because nobody feels like a spiritual giant. All of us, none of us, I don't at all. In fact, the closer you get to God, the more sense you have of your own wretchedness and your own inadequacies and your own hypocrisy. And you just cry out to God, no, we haven't arrived at all. And so they do the belly flop and he says, bring it up, guys, bring it up, step it up. And uh, he sees the look on their face like, oh, we can't do that. And then and then he says, look, a mustard seed, that's all I'm asking for, is a mustard seed of love toward me, a mustard seed of sincerity in your walk, a mustard seed of desire to do the right thing. This is what he means by faith, not just that you can believe something can happen. Faith stands for the whole regard of the Christian life, our, our, the way that we love him the way that we obey him, the little things, the way that we speak, that's the umbrella under the broad word of kicking up your faith, not letting your spiritual fervor wane, but fanning the flames always so you're ready for when you need the heat, right? And so he says, you just need a little bit. I think I got a picture. He says, that's all I'm asking for, gentlemen. Do you think you can do this? Do you think you could mustard this up? <laughs> I know it's mustard, but it's close. It's close, all right? He's saying, look, does this intimidate you, Peter, James, and John, or all of you? Come on, this is what I want. This is what I need, just a pinch. And then he says, if you had this, 
get this. This is important. If you had this, you could say to the mountain, move, step aside. It would be uprooted for you, right? Here's what he's saying. First of all, nowhere in the Bible does he command Christians to arbitrarily look at things and command and speak things into existence or I speak to you, you know, old bank account, you know, <laughs> be filled up in the name of the Lord or I speak over this property and we claim it for. No, he's not talking like that. Here's what he's saying. He's saying you can say to your ginormous mountainous issue like alcoholism that's keeping you from being who God wants you to be and do as God wants you to do. Maybe it's three generations. Maybe you're the fourth or the fifth alcoholic in your family. That's a mountain, folks. He says, you can speak to that thing and say, you know what? This is evil and it's keeping me from the power of God to be who God created me to be. Get out of my way, and it will obey you. Amen? That's the context. That's the context. Now, to speak to anything, to use the power that God is talking about here for your own personal gain, that is so sick and oh believing and perverse generation that would turn the mountain instead of it being an evil thing that confronts you and prevents you from being holy or other-centered in your marriage or more self-controlled with your sexual passions. That's the mountains he's talking about. To speak to that, the mountain of your pride... <laughs> And that, in Jesus' name, will always be removed, even this much. And the fact that that mountain is still in your life says a lot about how much faith and how much desire we have to really see that thing step aside. Amen? Let me close with one illustration of a mountainous evil thing that got uprooted in somebody's life. Somebody spoke to a mountain and it moved before my very eyes and I saw it move in a courtroom. Oh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago by now, a family in our church, you already, some of you know who I'm talking about. A mom and a dad and five kids. Mom went to pick up a daughter at Annalee and she took Lano Road and coming down Lano at 85 miles an hour is a drunk woman. And she speeds and collides head on into mom and daughter. Mom is with the Lord instantly. The daughter's injured and taken by ambulance to Memorial. Third DUI, drunk, kills mom of five. Courtroom victim's statement, daughter, reading. Ma'am, I'm a sinner. I have a lot of sins, and Jesus forgave me all of my sins, and they're no different from your sins. And I ask that you would consider, in light of my forgiveness, for you taking my mom, because you were drunk, and behind the wheel for the third time. I forgive you completely. 
But I want you to turn to God and find that same forgiveness for your own heart and life. She had a mountain. She had a mountain that was well-rooted. Oh, but she spoke to that mountain and said, you are keeping me from being who Jesus has commanded me to be. Forgive those who trespass against you. If you want to be forgiven, you must forgive, said, my Lord, I had a mountain there. So I spoke to the mountain. I said, get out of the way. I'm doing God's will. And the mountain moved for her. This is what Jesus is promising you and me. You got a mountain that's keeping you from what God has commanded you. That's how you know that mountain's going to move. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your wonderful love. We thank you so much, God, for giving us your son and making all things possible through him. Simple faith, God, you really, you don't ask for a lot. You really don't, God. We are so thankful. So we look to you now. Seal this truth in our hearts. Let us leave feeling encouraged because with you all things are possible. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 